Konnichiwa and welcome to another episode of Japan Rugby Weekly. I'm Doug the Translator and this week I'm joined by Nick Ely of the Mitsubishi Dinobores. Nick chats to us about his journey through Japanese rugby and shares a lot of great knowledge, so I hope you enjoy it. Let's go! And welcome back to the uh, Japan Rugby Weekly podcast. I've got a very special guest with us today and he's got his own mic here. It's our first live one in a while, but that is uh, Nicholas Eri. Uh, g'day, Nick. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me and thinking of me and giving me the opportunity to share my story. Um, I actually, uh, as soon as I knew I was going to come to Mitsubishi, you were the first player I actually wanted to get on because I knew you had such an interesting story. Um, we had Lichi on last season and he talked a little bit about you, I think yeah. so. Um, yeah, can't wait to get into yeah, it's um. Been, um well, been here a, a long time now, so <laughs> a few stories and yeah. share what I can. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, how's the preseason been going for you so far? Uh, yeah, we had a pre preseason. Yeah. So we started up in uh, July first, and then we've just been our uh, first time in a while since uh, with with COVID. I haven't been able to go home back to New Zealand. So uh, first preseason, or first off season, I've spent. In Japan, yeah, yeah, since uni days. So, oh wow, um, but different. But it's it's been good Japanese summer, and mm-hmm. um, the weather hasn't been too bad. But obviously, with with COVID and everyone's in the same boat, pretty restricted. But yeah. no, it's been good. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. Um, but you got a long, interesting story, so we'll get get yeah, uh, straight yeah, into let's it. Get into Don't it. need to uh, <laughs> waffle too much. But um, you're. Half Japanese, is that right? Yep, um, half Japanese. Did you grow up in Japan or uh, NZ? Um, so my mum is Japanese. Mm-hmm. She's from Sapporo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's where I was born. Nice. Uh, my dad is born in Liverpool. Oh, wow. Moved to Christchurch when he was four. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, so by blood, I'm half Japanese, mm-hmm. half English, but never been to England. Um but yeah, I uh, moved to Christchurch when I was five. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sure. most of my, well, yeah, nearly all my schooling in, in Christchurch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. So, half Japanese, half English. Wow. I, uh, yeah, I just assumed your dad was like Kiwi, eh? But, yes. Yeah. Um, and, um, like Sapporo, it's quite different to New Zealand climate, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I've only been up there for in summer, I think. But, yeah. uh, how was it growing up in the snow? Um, yeah, so I was only there till five. So obviously the summers are probably similar to to New Zealand summers. Not yep. not too humid like it is here in in Tokyo or mm-hmm. down in Osaka or in Fukuoka. But um, yeah, pretty pretty similar summer to to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously the winter is a bit different. It's um, <laughs> you know you get a meter and a half to two meters of snow uh, mid mid winter. Wow. Um, I do remember going to the snow festival which mm-hmm. is every feb mid-feb yeah yeah um yes yeah, so I, I do remember going there and seeing all the the ice sculptures and the big yeah, yeah. big slides but um since i went to christchurch um i haven't experienced a, a japanese winter for for a while so oh, i always go in the summer um, yeah, after yeah. summer camps from in Abashiri Okitami and just go straight from there to see my um, grandmother and auntie and uncle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, true, true. 
because yeah, I was similar. I was born in Fukuoka. Oh, sorry, Fukushima. Yeah. Uh, and then we had quite a lot of snow and stuff there, but went to moved to New Zealand quite early. But have you been speaking Japanese your all your whole life? And did you speak it when you moved to New Zealand? Um, and how was it being bilingual? Yeah. Um, obviously, being bilingual now is, has its perks, but mm-hmm. back then, um, so I spent first five years in Japan, which uh, my my first language was Japanese, yeah, yeah. and uh, f- for those that know my dad, he is also um, very, very good at Japanese. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I speak to my mum in Japanese, speak to my dad in Japanese, which oh, wow. is um, weird probably looking from the outside in because yeah. you have two European-looking guys <laughs> speaking Japanese to each other. Yeah. And then I've got an older brother and younger brother, and we sort of – we started Japanese, but mm-hmm. then – uh, as soon as we went to Christchurch, it just became English. So oh, yeah. Japanese to my parents, English to my brothers. Oh, wow. Um, which do you think you're most native in? Like, what's your first language, would you say? Um, uh, def- definitely English. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I have spent probably half my life in Japan, mm. but it's mainly for rugby. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's one thing I regret. I, you know, did four years of university, but, mm-hmm. you know, I have, I have a master's degree in PlayStation and... <laughs> Uh, watching movies and yeah. and playing rugby, so I wish I just you know I wish I just you know even if it was just a little bit of kanji or mm-hmm. just dug a bit more deep into that. Yeah, yeah, it's one thing I regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah kanji's um because when I came to Japan, I was year four on my second stint, and the kanji killed me. I was yeah, at home crying just, every day. Yeah, it's just um yeah something you just gotta you gotta get those one of those exercise books and just yeah. write it and write it and write it and. That's the only way you get good at it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, something that I failed to do. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. true, true. Uh, how was it growing up in Christchurch? I've never been to Christchurch, but oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. How was the? Uh, I think I've only been to South Island once, and that was for Dunedin O Week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, don't really know the true. Yeah. You know, South Island, but how was it growing up there, and how was the rugby over there? Yeah. So um, my dad is rugby mad. Mm-hmm. Um, just loves rugby. So. Um, yeah, we got to Christchurch. Uh, f- I was five years old, straight into rugby. Yeah, um, yeah. I think my first club was Marist. Oh, yeah. Um, played played a couple seasons there, under six, under sevens, and then I moved to Burnside Burnside Club, which is um, just quite close to my house. It's yeah. the closest club. Um, that's that's where I where I met Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these other guys. Um, Stephen Yates plays there now. Yeah. Um, Rob Penny legend of the club um yeah so it's a, it's a it was a powerhouse and i think they made the finals this year but i just played my junior rugby there until yeah. under 13s and then obviously um under 13s onwards it's all um high school teams so mm-hmm. yeah that, that was my club oh true true yeah. um and did you from a young age think you wanted to be a professional rugby player like was that always the dream um yeah just through my dad he just he loved rugby and he Put a ball in my hand when I was when I was young, and uh, my dad played uh, for the Hokkaido Barbarians oh, yeah, in, yeah. in Sapporo. So always around him at his trainings. Um, all his friends played rugby. Yeah, yeah. You know, would, back in the day, would get up and watch. Um, you know, the Springboks play New Zealand, or yeah. you know, the Crusaders play the Stormers at you know one or three mm-hmm. in the morning, and you know they were they were my earliest childhood memories of, of rugby and yeah. 
I think, yeah, I was just in an environment where that was the dream, mm-hmm. you know, like, like kids back in those days, not more now, probably kids, you know, they have a lot more, not options, but yeah, a lot more um, variety of dreams and mm-hmm. pathways. Yeah. So I was always surrounded by rugby and mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. 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 Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and how about the uh, cultural side of it? Like being half uh, Japanese in New Zealand, it's not as big a difference as being foreign in Japan. I think like, there's a lot yeah. more foreign people. But uh, how was it growing up, uh, having I guess two cultures and uh, with any troubles or hardships uh, around that? Um, not so much when I went to New Zealand because you know I, I don't look. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, you know, pe- people that know me, I don't look half Japanese I yeah, probably yeah. look I tilt more towards the European side mm-hmm. so um but I, I do remember um you know I, I did come back to Japan once every year just with the family to mm-hmm. visit grandparents and stuff and I do remember um you know being called a gaijin and yeah. at the park yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think most foreigners experience that but um I, I really didn't like that eh? mm-hmm. being called a gaijin yeah. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was just because I, I didn't really identify as a, a Gaijin back then. But, mm-hmm. you know, the older you get, I think the more you embrace it. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you'll know. Um, you get to experience two cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're able to speak two languages, um, communicate with a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the older I got, the, the more I appreciated being being Japanese, half Japanese, half yeah. English. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. uh, yeah, I think it just opens just way more doorways and yeah, opens yeah. your world up. And yeah, so yeah, I, I, I do recommend for people that, you know, obviously don't, didn't grow up the way I did to learn that second language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know New Zealand sort of taken the initiative to, to really, you know, the indigenous language of, of Maori and, yeah. Um, so if, if you're Maori descent, like take pride and, mm-hmm. you know, or even if it's just learning another language, it's, you know, just the opportunities and yeah, yeah, yeah. just the people you meet and different cultures. It's, it's like fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm big into like indigenous and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been great to be able to speak two languages and two, two cultures. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Well, cause, um, like me, I love rugby, but. I mean, I don't think I'd ever get to a stage where I am now in rugby if mm. it wasn't for being able to speak two languages. Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't get here uh, playing fullback or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it shapes you, right? Like yeah, it shapes yeah. who you are. Like mm-hmm. obviously, everyone has their own journey, but you know, being able to experience two cultures, you know, that, yeah. that definitely shapes the person you've become today and, mm-hmm. and will become in the future. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Um, and I think I was similar to you. Like when I came to Japan, uh, when I was a little bit older, when I was in primary school, everyone because there were no foreigners at our school, we just like superstars almost, you know. Yeah. And embrace that side of it because I was never that popular or anything at yeah. New Zealand. Um, but in New Zealand, I think the first time I took like, sushi norimaki to school for yeah. school, yeah. like no one really knew about it then, and everyone was like, ooh. And from yeah. then I was like, I never want to take it again. But now. Yeah. Everyone's playing like three times the amount that you would in Japan for a yeah, day. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all like, uh, changing cultures and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. It's, uh, it's good to know too. When you know two different cultures, 
you get a perspective, you know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. 100%, a lot of people 100%, here yeah. only know the Japanese culture and mm. vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah. No, no, fully agree. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and then, yeah, I guess going on to going back to your rugby, um, you, we said you went to, was it St. Bede's? St. Bede's, school? yeah. Um, how was that? Yeah, so St. Bede's was, um, so my brother was at a Catholic school in mm. Christchurch, um, boarding school as well. I, I, I didn't board, I was a, what do they call it, day, day students. It was, yeah. Um, but uh, my brother was already there. Uh, so I went with, with Michael. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, a lot of people want to know the story of Michael as well. It's probably the, the most um, asked question I get about Michael. Whenever I do an interview with a Japanese rugby magazine, it always goes to, to Michael, yeah. which is um, which is all good with me. Mm-hmm. But Michael, yeah, so I played rugby with Michael. Uh, I think it might have been under from under 10s maybe, under right, 10s, yeah, 11s, yeah. 12. And, you know, back then Michael was a – so you, if you watch him play now, you just imagine Michael – a lot shorter, uh, with a mini Michael Jackson afro, yeah. uh, no beard, um, less scars on his face. Yeah, but uh, about probably about fifty five kgs. But mm-hmm. he 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 plays the way he does now back then. So you oh, imagine yeah. under tens. <laughs> so for those that people people have kids and stuff, you, you imagine your ten year old son just chasing everything, tackling, tackle, slide, get up, yeah. jackal just doing that for like 30 minutes nonstop. Um, so he played the way he did back then. Yeah, and yeah. So he, I think Michael played, you know, from under eights to under 12 or under 15s, maybe all yeah. age grade stuff. So yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he always had something special. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so through, through my dad, um, Michael was able to get a scholarship to St. Beats. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Michael was, he was an under 12, uh, under 13 A's, under 14 A's, under 15 A's, and then he moved to Japan. Oh, so we played all our rugby together mm-hmm. through under, until under 15 before he left for Japan. Oh, I left for Japan as well, mm-hmm. but I only did the, did the year. Michael did the three. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if, um, going back to your question, St. St. Bede's, um, it is a big rugby school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it's normal in New Zealand, but you have uh, St. Bede's was uh, 600 students, I think, yeah. pupils, and then um, about 400 of those, or even a little bit more, is in the rugby, plays rugby. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you have Christchurch Boys High, probably 1,000, mm-hmm. and then they have 800, you know, that play rugby. Yeah. Um, that's not normal in Japan, but normal mm-hmm. in New Zealand. So, um, you know, you see the, the first 15 boys so when you're a little third form, when you're a, when you're a little turd, you rock up and your 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 oversized blazer, and then you see these seventh formers, sixth formers who, yeah. who are playing first fifteen. Um, that's that's the dream. Mm-hmm. So at St. Bede's, there was a number one field. Yeah. Um, only the first fifteen played on there. Mm-hmm. Um, our jerseys were uh, mainly black with red collars and black shorts. Yeah. But the first fifteen wore white shorts. Oh yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and then they've got the cap system. Um, those that played rugby in New Zealand will know about that. And then you've got your, your first 15 hucker. Mm-hmm. But then, you, you know, you just, as a third former, you're seeing your first 15 play every week mm-hmm. during the hucker. Yeah. Just because, you know, like if you're, if you're not in the first 15, all the games are sort of um, 
set up so you can go watch first 15. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have the whole school there and then you had the other school there. So it's, 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 it's a pretty big, you know, um, yeah. sometimes early days of top league get about mm. 1,000 or 2,000 come watch your game. So high school rugby was, was bigger. Yeah. And that's, and all I wanted to do was play for the first 15 because mm-hmm. it was just, it was just awesome, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just take yourself back to the school days. It was, it was awesome just playing for your school, mm-hmm. um, representing your school. Um, you know, the perks of playing for the first 15, you might be able to miss a few classes or yeah, yeah. get away with a few things. So, <laughs> yeah, so those five years there were, were awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, the great thing about St. Bede's is that, um, so my dad was heavily involved with the rugby as well. So yeah. he, he started a, a rugby program at St. Bede's. Um, St. Bede's, uh, through my dad had, uh, sister school relationships with, uh, Keiko Gakuen, which was, mm-hmm. um, powerhouse back in the day. So they won four, uh, in, in a row, um, the national championship. Yeah. So they were the first sister school relationship. And then every year, two players would come from there. So, yeah. yeah. So the, the very first two were um, Sogabe Yoshinori, who played for uh, Keiko, played for the first 15 at St. Bede's. Yeah. And then he went on to Waseda University, it was a superstar oh, there. Yeah. Uh, went to Suntory, played for Japan, and then went to Yamaha, and is now at Yamaha, but has retired from rugby. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was there, he played for 15. And then other one was uh, Mitsui Daisuke, mm-hmm. um, also Keiko, Waseda, yeah. uh, Toshiba. And then now he's coaching at Keio University. So oh, they were the first two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there, it grew from two, uh, from one school to two schools, three schools, four schools. Yeah. And then, um, so we, every year there'd be about 15 Japanese players. Oh, so true. the others yeah, yeah. were Higashikoka. That's yeah. where I met Masa, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, uh, Toyota. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of good Japanese rugby players mm-hmm. were, were coming and every year a new one would come. Um, a lot of top league players yeah. now. So we're talking about Ninomaki, mm-hmm. uh, Flanker for Panasonic, yeah. uh, Yoshi Fujita from, from Panasonic. Mm-hmm. They're all St. Beads. Oh, really? Um, Kakinaga, sure. who's at Kubota, yeah. Arita, Ryuhei. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a lot of good talent coming to St. Beads and they mm-hmm. all played for the first 15 as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, so I always had every year Japanese players come and I'll translate for them. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, that was a good way to keep my Japanese mm-hmm. up to sort of how the, how the young people spoke. Cause I only spoke to Japanese with my mum and dad yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. pretty old school. So yeah. um, it, that was a good way. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed my five years at, at St. Beats. Mm-hmm. Um, played my, played first 15 my last year at school. Yeah. And then from there, just um, my dad was sort of in the, he was also introducing players to Japanese universities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the universities was Tukshok University, and that's yeah. sort of where I, I I moved to Japan mm-hmm. and sort of been been here ever since. Wow! Yeah, nice, nice. Um, and you talked about how uh, Michael Lichi um, went to Japan for three years, but was that through your dad's connection and stuff like that? Yeah. So Michael, um, so when the Japanese boys come to St. Bede's, um, so every school holidays when you have the two week school mm-hmm. holidays. They had to leave the dorm. Oh, yeah. So obviously the boys that were, you know, the key, the local borders, mm-hmm. they just went back to the farm or, you know, went back up north or yeah. there's even a guy from Christmas Island, you know, oh, just yeah, go yeah, back yeah. for two weeks. But the Japanese boys, they, you know, obviously they couldn't, 
go back. So mm-hmm. they they got billeted out homestay. Yeah. Um, and Michael every year would take in a homestay. Yeah. And um, so Michael, he home, uh, one of the Japanese boys that homestayed at his house ended up being the guy that was at y- Yamanote. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Michael yeah. ended up homestaying at his place where Michael moved to Japan. Oh, wow. Um, so, um, yeah, it came about, you know, I always wanted to return to Japan because, you know, I love my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, that's the reason I still go up to, to Sapporo to go visit her once a week. Just, yeah. I just love her. So um, I wanted to go spend a year in Japan mm-hmm. and Sapporo. So it was good just because I could stay at my Obacha, my grandma's house, yeah, and then yeah, go yeah. to school and play rugby. Um, we had a sister-school relationship with mm-hmm. Sapporo Yamanote. So that that worked out. I went, I don't know at that time how long I was going to go for, but I just went um, and then got there. They were like, oh, do you, do you have any friends that are good at rugby Yeah, that might want to come over with you? Mm-hmm. I was already there, but they yeah, come after. And then, um, yeah, I just said Michael's name because not, not because he was awesome at rugby. It was just yeah, because yeah. I'd be, you know, pretty good to have Michael here. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, we used to do a lot of things together back in, back in Christchurch. Um, so he, um, I think Michael just jumped at the chance. He'd mm-hmm. already, you know, interacted with a lot of Japanese boys and, yeah, yeah. you know, would come over for a f- Japanese feed at my place a few times. And, um, I think, yeah, I don't know what Michael's mentality was then, but he came over, he jumped on a plane yeah. like three weeks later and yeah. he was there and the rest is history, you know? Wow, so, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, it would have been uh, a daunting yeah, experience. Like maybe he can go into it. And, and yeah, yeah. The Michael Leach special, but yeah, would have been. Um, but yeah, you just you just look at Michael. You, I know, um, you know, a lot of boys do come to Japan and um, um, start their rugby career, so to speak. But you know, it sort of takes a special breed. It's not it's not your everyday. Okay, yeah. Tuesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. one hour training. It's every day, three four hours. Yeah. Military style. <laughs> and then if you're lucky to lucky enough to go to a school mm-hmm. that has artificial turf, you're lucky, but back in those days was was dirt. It was like brown dirt. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so you can see Michael's battle scars, like you just look at his elbows and knees, just Yeah, they're not it's not a good sight. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, Michael he he, he just Three years, mm-hmm. head down, did his work. Yeah. And then he moved on to uni and mm. did his four years there. Sounds a bit like prison, but you know, did <laughs> yeah. his time. But, you know, that, that shaped Michael. Mm-hmm. He's already an awesome player, but shaped him to be the person he is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Nice, nice. Um, that first year, so you guys were there together. Yep. I guess that would have helped him a bit, having someone who – obviously knew the Japanese culture, but could also speak to him in English uh, when, like, because otherwise there'd probably be no one else around who could speak English. Yeah, and stuff. I, I do regret, hopefully Michael's listening to this, and <laughs> I'll apologise to him in person as well, but I think I was caught up in the moment too. Like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I think, I don't know what kids were like back then, but, you know, I didn't get pocket money or, mm-hmm. or anything like that, so it was always go to school, 
might go to Michael's house on the way back, yeah. play rugby oh one on on the computer with a joystick and yeah. and then go home and, and repeat. Mm-hmm. So but when I got to Japan it was like not living at home anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not at an all boys school anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Yamanote I think is quite notorious for uh sports is really good. Mm-hmm. But academic size is quite poor. Like oh, yeah, yeah. It's, you probably almost, uh, if you're a Kiwi listening to this, you almost look at it like a, a decile one mm. school. So you have a lot of characters there. Yeah. But if you want to go play national level sport, mm. that's where you go. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're, if you're in the rugby, you're going to win the, the Hokkaido tournament yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. But when you go to the national community, you get smashed by 80. <laughs> and that was the same for, uh, for basketball. They had a yeah. really good basketball program there. Um, yeah, the girls basketball. I think there's a few Olympians in the last, um, in the, in the Olympic that just, just been, I think it's about three Yamanote girls. Oh, wow. But they had a sports course. So yeah. you go to school, um, you do three periods. So usually it's six or seven, mm-hmm. but you're, you're done at school by 12. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to go practice rugby. So, oh, wow. so that was awesome. So yeah. So getting back to Michael, I think. I was caught up in all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously you would talk to each other, but I was also caught up in freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Japanese girls and Japanese high school. And, yeah. and I think I was one of the first foreigners there. So it was mm-hmm. sort of like you know, a bit of that, that white guy, you know, in Tokyo Exotic, drafted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that white guy? <laughs> And then sort of the, the Tokyo Drift song in the background. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I think I I didn't, yeah. So now people that know me, you know, I have a lot of time for foreigners mm-hmm. when they come here because I know, yeah. you know, my mum was the same when she went to New Zealand. But mm-hmm. I, I, I have a lot of time for foreigners because coming to Japan, which is, obviously the people look different. Yeah. And the language is completely different. <laughs> yeah. And the culture is different, so... Yeah, so I, I I take it upon myself to really help those guys really ease into the into the yeah. culture. That's that's definitely one of my jobs. I, I reckon mm-hmm. just being able to speak both. I just yeah, it's, yeah. it's a mission of mine to to make it as easy as possible for those guys. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, so I should have spent more time with Michael and, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I can say that now. But yeah, but different when you're in the moment. Yeah, hey? yeah. at high school. Yeah. Um. Pop, most popular boy in school. Yeah, yeah. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, I was wondering why you always had that strut walking around, but it must have been from <laughs> high school. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, I wasn't there at high school, so it was uh, in Japan at high school, so it was a bit different. But like yeah. even in the Inaka school that I was at in Fukushima, you get like girls just like wanting your autograph and yeah. it's like, what does that even mean? Like I'm a weird, 10-year-old. Eh? Um, I can't even, you know, write my name yeah. properly. How, how old are you now? Uh, 27, 28 27, yeah, yeah, so similar sort of generation. Eh? Yeah, like yeah. back then, you know, you see a lot of foreigners in Japan now, mm-hmm. but back then probably, you know, and, and depends where you are. Sapporo yeah. is, um, is not as much of a tourist attraction mm-hmm. like Tokyo or Osaka. So, um, it, they do sort of, it is a, you're sort of like a unicorn when you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when you go to places like Sapporo and mm-hmm. be like, oh, you look like Tom Cruise. It was like, what the hell? Um, and, um, you know, fuck it. it's weird. Cause I've had someone say to me, Oh, you look like Tom Cruise and mm-hmm. you look like Tom Hanks. I'm like, what? Yeah. 
don't don't um, categorize foreigners all the same. Yeah, but yeah. you know, now it's foreigners everywhere, and mm. it's not just what you see on on the movies. So yeah, yeah they do take an interest. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's kind of similar to what you get back home, where some people say like it's they can't tell I guess Japanese people apart or Asian people apart. But mm. when I was over here, somebody. They really like rugby and they're like, man, you look so much like Sunny Bill. And I was like, um, <laughs> yeah, obviously the body's the same, but face is a bit the different. guns yeah, and yeah. the tattoos that have come given Oh, and yeah, oh man, oh, so many, um, movie stars that you apparently look like. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. And I think it's just like, I don't know, you got brown hair. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's just so much, uh, so many examples of that. But I always just come back at, that now being like that's like saying you look like Jackie Chan kind of yeah, thing you know yeah. you won't get away with that now yeah, yeah. So, yeah. oh man uh, but always good times with that it's uh, I don't know it's dangerous getting that ego boost when you're young yeah um, and but then now I just see the kind of people that people that Japanese people call ikemen like yeah. you're going down the street and see this guy who wouldn't be classed as kind of cool yeah. in New Zealand is real cool over here I'm like man that means maybe I'm not that cool you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah brings me back to earth yeah, it's a hard one I mean. <laughs> but yeah fucking lap it up yeah yeah well I think uh, for you wherever you go you know you'll be ikemen so just, uh, no, just take advantage of it <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah nice uh, how was that um I guess high school, uni, obviously completely different lifestyle to New Zealand and you know the culture so it's probably a bit easier but uh, anything you struggled with coming over here, uh, being in that new culture and new environment? Um, yeah, so I did the Sapporo Yamarote. That mm-hmm. was um, the equivalent to my fifth form year, so mm-hmm. year 11. I did the year. Yeah. Michael stayed on. Um, at that moment, I was like, oh, shit, I want to do the three years because mm-hmm. you know, Japan life was pretty sweet. Yeah. But in saying that, if I look back, like I put on 20 kgs in yeah, 10 yeah. months, not, not good 20 kgs. So if I, you know, if you do the math, if I stayed another two years, I'd probably be, you know, 140 kgs right now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm glad I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I went back to St. Bede's, um, did my sixth form and seventh form year. Um, and I think that sort of led me onto the path. Yep. I want to return to Japan. Yeah. But. Yeah. I also want to play for first 15. Mm. I was able to do that. And then as soon as school year finished and, uh, you know, when you're seventh form, I think you get your exams done by November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that. And then, you know, I was on a plane straight to Takashoku and oh, wow. started there. You know, that was another good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I met my wife at university. Thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. But, so yeah, I, I mentioned before about you know, if there's any uni boys listening now to this podcast, you know, make the most of those four years. And, yeah. and you know, I said before that I regret not doing kanji, but, you know, oh, yeah, I can say this because I'm an adult now, but, mm-hmm. you know, don't just hang out with rugby boys. Yeah. You know, Takshuk University is quite a multicultural mm-hmm. university. So there's Chinese people, people from Taiwan, um, Nepalese. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was an international faculty, mm-hmm. um, international studies faculty and so many cultures. And I just wish I just didn't hang out with the rugby boys because yeah, yeah. four years of just hanging out with the rugby boys is such a waste. Yeah. Um, I should have done more. I should have embraced, um, uni life, college mm-hmm. life just to get a different perspective. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I can say that now, but yeah. So if there's any uni boys listening, obviously rugby mm-hmm. is important. 
Yeah. But to interact with a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously you might be shy or, but no, screw that. Just go talk to people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very difficult now because everything might be online, but mm-hmm. once this opens up, go be a student because, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you're a student athlete. Mm-hmm. You're only a student athlete for four years of your life. Yeah. Make the most of it, eh? Um, yeah, so university, four years, um, met my wife there. And then, yeah, so Takshoka, if people don't know, it's, we were, we were Div 1 my whole four years. Mm-hmm. Div, they're Div 2 now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, the rugby was, was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it led me onto the path to, to get picked up by, Panasonic, mm-hmm. which um, looking back now was an awesome place to start my professional career. Yeah, yeah. Just grateful to be surrounded by um, awesome people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there 2011. Tony Brown was my first coach. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I was surrounded by, you know, the Japanese superstars now. So mm-hmm. Shota Horie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tanaka Fumiaki. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a highly competitive environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had a Panasonic could just change from Sanyo World Knights mm-hmm. to the Panasonic World Knights. Yeah. And they just come off winning, I think it might have been Japan Cup. Mm-hmm. So they were highly competitive um, champions of Japan. And for me to be at a lower ranking university, um, have my perspective on rugby. Yeah. And then thrown into that environment was just awesome because, yeah. you know, I was playing with the best in Japan, mm-hmm. but also with summer superstars um, and, and top league. So um, Mike Delaney, Beric Barnes, um, Sonny Bill Williams, JP Peterson, Sam Norton Knight, uh, Daniel Heenan, who's still playing to this day. Yeah. He's a freak. Um, <laughs> you know, Hendrick Tui, mm-hmm. he, we both into the same year and then there's a few guys like um you know the Holani brothers Sol and Kali uh Sioni Vatuve plays for Kubota now he's another aging athlete but gets better with time yeah yeah so it was just awesome to be in in, in there and I think that's sort of what set me up mm-hmm. not not saying that I had a um a successful career but um having a enjoyable career and an yeah. enjoyable in terms of off field, mm-hmm. but also on field, um, was able to experience a lot of um, success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, just definitely one of the top clubs. They won the last uh, top league as well. Eh? So um, they've been competitive ever since I started watching top league and stuff. But were you always a halfback just throughout the age groups? Um, um, no. So at university, I played a different position every year, oh, and. Wow. and and that was, uh, so I played in my junior grade stuff. I played 12, mm-hmm. uh, 10, 9. Um, so at, at high school, I, I made the first 15 as a halfback. Yeah. But then there was injuries to the 10. So I moved out to 10 and mm-hmm. then played all my first 15 games as a 10. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, went to Takshoku the four years there. I played, uh, center, uh, nine. 10 back to nine. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if it's a good thing to be able to play all a lot of positions, mm-hmm. but 
I was I was a utility. Yeah. But also having being Japanese, mm-hmm. I was sort of that guy. You know, you you select your foreigners first. Yeah. And then sort of fill in the gaps there. And I was sort of the guy that you could fill in the gaps, mm-hmm. um, being able to play a lot of positions. Um, so I went to Panasonic. Um, you know, Tony Brown um, said, you know, let's, let's knuckle down at playing nine. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was Fumi yep. Tanaka there. So he was a number, there's number one halfback by along, mm-hmm. by far. And then there was me and then Takayasu, okay, um, yeah. another great man. Um, so we're battling out for the for the um, reserve spot. Yeah, and I'm always grateful to Brownie. Um, he he was the one that gave me my shot. Mm-hmm. So my first year there, I, I made the bench. Yeah, um, but Brownie always, you know, you know, obviously for me, he played a lot of top league games. But mm-hmm. then he was younger back then. But top league games. But then also for Japan. Yeah, yeah. So he had a big workload. Um, so the first year I just came off the bench, a few cameos. Mm-hmm. And then my first year, you know, Brownie was like, um, we were playing Kobe Steel. And I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget this. Um, he, uh, we had a Japanese kantoku. So yeah, you know yeah. how Japanese kantokus are? They're, they're quite conservative. And mm-hmm. even if you're playing uh, a lower ranked team, they always want to you know, bust out the, yeah, yeah. the big guns. And I think, yeah, we were at a stage where we could afford to, um, you know, play a few of the reserves. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Brownie had a lot of faith in me and a lot of trust in me. And, um, he, he started me against Kobe Steel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which ended up, you know, I, I ended up going to Kobe Steel four years later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that I'm always grateful to Brownie because, you know, Kobe Steel, you know, every year it's a top four team, mm-hmm. top five team. And, you know, he could have given me a start against a, a Honda or yeah, yeah. no disrespect Coke or, you know, <laughs> you know, as you do. But for him to have faith in me that, you know, that was, that was awesome for me. Mm-hmm. Just gave me confidence. And, um, it's when I got my first start against Kobe Steel, we, we won an, an Ota oh, at true. the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. We used to call the Ota ground the graveyard because. Yeah. It was terrible for away teams. Oh, yeah. So, we, like, our clubhouse at Panasonic, we were, you know, about 20 minutes away from mm. the um, the graveyard. But yeah. for teams to travel to Ota, it's yeah. an absolute nightmare, right? You go to Ota, um, you stay in this – there's only one hotel there, pretty retro hotel. Yeah. You look outside and then the bright lights of hosty bars and Filipino pubs and yeah. very dodgy-looking <laughs> – Shops and then, yeah, the, the city's quite. What's the word for it? Bland. It's like mm-hmm. there's nothing going on in Ota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go to this, the state, this stadium, if you can call it a stadium. But um, yeah, the lockers are terrible and yeah. showers are like small as so it's very hard for away teams. I think uh, there was a record for I think. 20, I think they might have got up to about 26 games before they got mm-hmm. beaten by Rico a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah. That they were unbeaten. And, and th- I think that record lasted for about 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of history there. And, um, we just beat Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, last last minute try, I think. I think Hendrik Tui might have scored in the oh, corner. Yeah, yeah so that was, that was awesome. And um, 
it, like I said before, just just to be surrounded by really good players, but mm. actually good good people. Yeah, yeah. So you know, guys like Sam Norton Knight, he'd just be like, you know, back yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're good. Don't you know, back yourself. It's just you just don't doubt yourself and yeah. really back yourself. And and Brownie had that stance too. He was like, mate, just use your step, or mm-hmm. you know, you've got a beautiful pass. Just just back yourself and. Um. Yeah, Beric Barnes was was similar. He mm-hmm. was, you know, just guys that know Barnes. He's like that tip, not typical Aussie, but he's real Aussie. He'd be mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, mate, how are you, mate?" And just always, you know, every second word is mate. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, it's just he's just an awesome fella. But um, not just the foreigners, but you know, for me, you learn things off him. Very competitive, mm-hmm. like very, very competitive. Just even like in warm up ball games, you yeah. know. He's blasting guys and doesn't hates to lose. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah grateful to be in that mm-hmm. environment. Yeah. So I was able, lucky enough to be able to win um, a championship in my second year oh, yeah, and yeah. my third year, and then my fourth year I was um, I didn't make the twenty three, mm-hmm. but Panasonic still won. Um, so you know, and I'll get to it later, but I was able to experience. Kobe's you know first championship in mm-hmm. 18 years but it was it was two different journeys like mm-hmm. Kobe was very intense yeah um very intense high standard um but I think that was because you know Kobe had always been fourth fifth mm-hmm. and then Smithy came and then he he like he sort of clipped his fingers um and then we had a mindset change obviously it took a bit more time than yeah. click a finger but it we had to do it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Panasonic, they, that moment was, that happened way before I was there. So mm-hmm. they had that expectation, that standard of, yeah, yeah. um, being in a final. I think, I think I remember Brownie saying that they'd been in a final in the top, uh, in a playoff like six years straight. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And the four years I was there, um, yeah, final every mm-hmm. year. Yeah, yeah. So it was high, it was high pressure stuff, but mm-hmm. just the way it just seemed normal mm-hmm. at Panasonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously at Kobe, the stars aligned and, you know, everything aligned and able to do the same and win a championship. But yeah, it's just uh, yeah, the, old, the older I am now, when you look back on it, there's, you know, there's not one method of getting to a championship. There's, mm-hmm. you know, different journeys and, and that, that might change with the, you know, the, geography of where the teams are mm-hmm. or what the company is doing or yeah, yeah. the players there. So, um, yeah, I guess people that the core of it is the people that can, can mm-hmm. sort of bring it out of, and that, that was Smithy for, for Kobe yeah. and at Panasonic, you just had a lot of people that were, mm-hmm. um, that just fit, fit the, the puzzle and yeah. made the puzzle and and it worked and you know I've mentioned a lot of the, the foreign boys having influence on my career as well but you know guys like uh, Miyake Takashi he's mm-hmm. um, he's a SECOM uh, head coach now um, Shimomura Seichi um, legend centre he was captain there um, Takayasu Atsushi who um, we were rivals we were yeah. both gunning for that that halfback spot but those he, he helped me a lot mm-hmm. Um even though I took his place, like it'd be, he was the first one to get me on board with all the calls. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's what a team man is. Mm-hmm. And then 
I was like, shit, yeah, I want to be like him. Yeah. And, you know, same with Miyake Takashi. He's team culture, mm-hmm. team first, um, always organizing barbecues. Yeah, yeah. And I just looked up to guys like him. And I think that sort of shaped the way I I was mm-hmm. for after I left um, Panasonic. I went to, to Kobe, um, obviously just to get a bit more game time. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah, the, the, the culture wasn't wasn't bad, but mm-hmm. it was nothing compared to the culture at, at uh, Panasonic. And yeah, I think yeah. that's geography has a lot of, to play with that. So Kobe, you're in a in a city, you can get to Osaka, you can get to Kobe, Sanomiya. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, you know, there's little cliques there where they had their own groups and I just do their yeah, own yeah, stuff, yeah. whereas Panasonic, you're in the middle of nowhere, so I was... You know, Collie was great, and he'd be uh, Holani, mm-hmm. oldest Holani brother. He's a he's a coach there now. He was awesome. He'd have barbecues at his place. Yeah, All the yeah. players would get together, and uh, we had a lot of barbecues at the clubhouse. Miyake would organise them, and so it was. Um, yeah, the brotherhood mm-hmm. at Panasonic was was strong, and I think the people that had come through the club. Um, in the past had, had yeah. created that. Mm-hmm. So that that's where I drew inspiration. I was like, fuck yeah, I wanna be I wanna be one of those people and so we started doing that at, at Kobe as well. Yeah. Um obviously having guys like Andy, mm-hmm. Andy Ellis who who's experienced the Crusaders culture and, and is just an awesome bloke. Um Yeah, it was it was awesome and easy to work with him as well. So um I've had yeah, I'm really grateful for you know, the players and the coaches I've had up until now have sort yeah, of shaped yeah. me and sort of, um, I think, shaped me going toward uh, in, in the future as well. So, yeah, yeah. you know, shout out to guys like Phil Mooney as well, mm-hmm. awesome coach, awesome guy. Um, I had um, Slushy, who's Tanabe Atsushi. He's, um, he's a attack coach at Kubota. He's yeah, done yeah. awesome things there. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm really, really grateful. I'm mm-hmm. not, not to say like, those guys shaped me to become like a, you know, I don't consider myself a, a good rugby player, but, you know, if it wasn't for those guys, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to experience a lot of things and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and have perspective on those experiences. So, yeah, it's, um, I'm really happy with my journey mm-hmm. so far. Yeah, yeah. And grateful for those guys. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, um, yeah just listen to that. Like, yes, that culture's such a big part of the puzzle to be a successful teammate. Like, yeah. um, a lot of teams over here might have the cash to, you know, splash on all those big names and stuff, but there's just so many parts of the puzzle that you need to get right yeah. to get that. And I think culture is, is, and rugby is thrown out, thrown around a bit, mm-hmm. but to me, it's, it's not about, oh, they got great culture. They go do paintball and, you know, <laughs> yeah. go on the piss every week. You know, it's not, it's not about that that event or that action it's mm-hmm. actually about what that event or that action does for you on the rugby field or yeah. does for you when you're at the clubhouse with your mates mm-hmm. so you know um, the easiest thing is to go out for a beer mm-hmm. but what that comes back to is that you build that that brotherhood yeah. and that brotherhood is when you go out on the field mm-hmm. it might be that extra 1% or 2% just the small things but yeah, yeah. it might be yeah, you know, I know this guy's story, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that extra one or two percent to, yeah. you know, play on 
play with my brother and do something for him and do something for this team because it's it's what I love and um yeah so it's not about you know like a team that a social team they might have great culture yeah but the results might not follow but you know that might be great for them yeah, but yeah. when you're in a professional environment and results is everything there's got to be substance to that that culture and it's always got to come back to to a result mm-hmm. which is ultimately to win yeah, yeah. so that that's that's something that I've realized along the way in my journey and something I'm trying to instill here at at, at Mitsubishi yeah. where I'm currently at um, obviously it's it's different because I'm I'm real grateful mm-hmm. that I, I'm you know I'm at Mitsubishi now we're with Div 2 this year and we were lower ladder, ladder last year with a lot of potential mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that the culture is bad but if you think about the mindsets sorry I'm babbling on here but if you mm-hmm. think about the mindset or the environment I was in at at Panasonic mm-hmm. so it's guys like you know Fumi or Shota or um, you know Beric Barnes or you know those guys they're, they're yeah, obviously they want to get results with Panasonic, yeah. but their individual goal is, mm-hmm. no, I want, I'm want. i going to play for Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm going to make a comeback to mm-hmm. Australia, or I want to be the best player I can be, or, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, you got a group, and that's the same at Kobe, you, you got a group of players who are striving for one thing, mm-hmm. which is quite high in the, in the pyramid. Yeah. But at Mitsubishi, it's, you know, obviously you got to, think about reality and mm-hmm. realistic goals but um you know there, there, there are some players here that mitsubishi is their end goal yeah you yeah, know yeah. so it's yep i've made it i'm a professional rugby player yeah and, yeah but obviously you've got to understand their journey too mm-hmm. so they they could be they could have been at the bottom you yeah. know and they've clawed their way mm-hmm to get this contract at Mitsubishi. So that could be their journey to, yeah, to yeah. the way they think, but I, I think it's my job and I take it on me personally to change that mindset into, mm-hmm. okay, you're here now. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do something together and let's, let's aim for mm-hmm. uh, something a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about giving them a big speech. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, I go back to that substance with the, the team culture stuff. It's it's trying to plant little seeds and trying to change behaviours and um and not not to say that I'm perfect. I'm you know, people that have seen me play have you know, I might be a skilled player, but I'm not I'm not a I'm not an athlete, you know. Um I've got my uh, weaknesses yeah, yeah. And, you know, around skin folds and stuff, but <laughs> I really wanna I, I really get joy out of doing something with mm-hmm. with some with someone so yeah, yeah. you know there's not there's nothing better than you know winning a championship or winning a game mm-hmm. and then after the game you're like you're high-fiving yeah you're hugging your brothers and then you go for a beer mm-hmm. like at those moments you're not thinking about shit yeah win bonus or yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh fuck what am on my contract yeah. or um yeah so and and obviously hard work you do your hard work and it just makes it so much mm-hmm. better. Just the, the beer tastes better and <laughs> yeah. the nights are better and, mm-hmm. and then you do it again because, yeah. you know, I want to chase, I want that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, it's, it's about doing the hard yards with your brothers. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
yeah, just that night. You, you know, even if you lose, you're going to go have a night out, mm-hmm. have beers and, you know, enjoy time with your mates, but it just amplifies everything. Eh? If you, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you win and that, that's what I'm chasing. Even, even to this day, I know the, the end, the end goal is to, for us at the moment is to get top of Div 2 and mm-hmm. win the promotion relegation. Yeah. But, you know, the, the that, that for me is a, a far away goal. But the ones, the little goals that are mm-hmm. in reach are for me, uh, yeah, enjoying it with, with your mates. Yeah. You know, um, having a beer and that, that's really sort of something that's close and I can mm-hmm. chase and, um, it just gives me that spark to, yeah. So, sorry, I'm babbling on. No, no, it's, uh, good, all good uh, stuff. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Loving it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, what you said about the guys with the end goals and stuff it was quite similar at Coke. Like a lot mm. of the guys wanted to be, you know, a company worker who got to train rugby every day and mm. like they weren't making the 23, but they were happy where they were. Yeah. And then you saw other people, like young, maybe foreigners who'd come in and they're working for their next contract. They didn't get the opportunity back home. So they're looking for the opportunity here. And, uh, a lot of the Japanese players, like some of them, would uh, be happy with her, but you could see the difference in the guys who are trying to be the best they could be, doing yeah. all those extras and just the little things that might give them one, yeah, like you said, one or two percent of uh, skill or power or something. Yeah. Um, and everyone's journey is different, mm-hmm. and everyone's journey is shaped the way they they think and mm-hmm. the way they are. So, um, you know, I think some people might know I want to get into coaching. Yeah. Um, and the reason I want to get into coaching is, you know, I mentioned a few guys there, like Scott Hansen, mm-hmm. um, Tony Brown, um, Phil Mooney. Th- those those guys um, through the years have sort of, you know, sometimes you know, you're not always not going to be, you're not always going to be happy and um, loving rugby and loving mm-hmm. life. But those guys really influenced me. They, you know, they gave me that spark yeah, yeah. when I really needed it. Yeah. I don't know if they they sent something in me that I needed it, but mm-hmm. and it might, it might be just a, a word or, you know, they say something and you see them doing something for people like that. Well, what they did for me. Yeah. And then that's where my inspiration came from where I want to be a coach is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know what they did for me yeah, yeah, yeah. and it felt awesome. Mm-hmm. But imagine being on the other side and being able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that must be so satisfying and, that, that's that's what I want to do. So I want to. I really, obviously, they're, they're awesome rugby coaches. The knowledge they have is is unbelievable. But yeah. just the the spark or um, that we fire mm-hmm. that they gave to people. Um, yeah, that, that, I, I love that. Eh? I yeah, want yeah. I want to do that. I want that. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, and then you kind of mentioned uh, moving to Corbe for I guess more game time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, was that uh, tough decision to move uh, to Corbe quite far away. I see different team environment and stuff, but how yeah. was that decision and how was the Corbe experience? Yeah, so I think when I was a bit younger, when I was at Panasonic, I was 22, mm-hmm. and then 25, you know, I know, uh, 26 when I left. But yeah. Um, yeah, so in those four years I was at Panasonic, I was lucky enough for, um, so my second and third year, it's when for me, Tanaka, he was, um, he was at, the Highlanders. Oh, yeah. 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 So um, I'm guessing, you know, obviously they wanted for me to go pursue his dreams, but mm-hmm. they also had a lot of faith in me to be able to step up and do for job. And yeah. um, in those 
two years there to uh, my second year and third year, I, I thought I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I filled his role uh, quite nicely, but um, yeah, Fimi would come back. So I played every single game up until semi-final. Mm-hmm. I played the semi-final and then Fimi would come back. Yeah. Um, at, at the time I was, you know, obviously disappointed, but you know, Fimi is, he is class. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's slowed down a bit now, but mm-hmm. he was, Back then, it was class. Like, mm-hmm. you're probably in the top five halfbacks of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I understood that. But also, the competitive side is like, like, you know, if this little dude can do it, why can't you do it? Yeah. So, I wish sort of, if, if, you know, if I could go back in time, I'd try to be more more competitive and mm-hmm. really push for that. But, um, yeah, so I did, in 2014, I was, um, so for me, it, Obviously, Panasonic wanted for me to come back and mm-hmm. uh, be full time at Panasonic because he was yeah. doing, you know, half year stints mm-hmm. and then coming back and then also had Japan. So the workload was pretty big. Yeah. Um, so Panasonic wanted him to come back. And um, Brownie mentioned, um, okay, Fumi's back in Japan. Do you want to have a crack at ITM, mm-hmm. Otago? So, um, yeah, I always wanted to play back in New Zealand. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of that was a way to test sort of my level because mm-hmm. I think you know if you're if you're you know you play first 15 in New Zealand a lot of people do that um, the the good ones go on to academy and yeah. break the Canterbury team and mm-hmm. play and then go on to play All Blacks um, so that was for me to prove to myself that you know ITM is mm-hmm. you know as a small pool of players that get to play provincial rugby in New Zealand yeah, so yeah. um but, you know, cause, just because Brownie was a coach and um, um, it wasn't a shoo-in. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of good halfbacks there. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I had to go play uh, club rugby. And and the year before that, um, you know, Yamada Akihito, he, mm-hmm. he went and had a crack. But, um, yeah, so he, 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 he didn't make it. He, he um I don't think he played enough games, but oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. It, so if, to me, in my mind, it was like, like it's not a show, and you gotta you gotta prove it, prove yourself. So I went down to Dunedin, and in Japan, I'd only play with molds on because you know the yeah, grounds yeah. are pretty hard, and get to Dunedin, it's like holy shit. <laughs> so I played for Harbour. Oh yeah. So Harlet T. Pole was there. He played for Tonga, mm-hmm. Santori, um, Rico, and Lala Mapusua. Yeah, yeah. Um, Played for Kubota mm-hmm. and Kamaishi. Um, so, so Harbour Hawks was known as um, the Islanders team. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's about me and maybe three other Balangi boys. And, <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was good because, you know, you knew that they were on your team and yeah, not yeah. opposition. So, yeah, we had a pretty successful season. I, we didn't win it, but mm-hmm. I had a great time there. Eh? And then, yeah. Um, had a pretty good forward pack, so that made mm-hmm. my job easier and fortunate enough to make the ITM squad. Yeah. Um, so there's about nine games. It's a pretty short comp. Mm-hmm. So nine games, um, played every single game. Yeah, and it was just, it was just a good experience to yeah, travel yeah. New Zealand and sure. um, sort of prove myself uh, to myself. Mm-hmm. So that, that was an awesome experience. And then uh, season finished in uh, October. Yeah, yeah. So I flew back. As soon as we finished that game, I flew back. Um, Panasonic had one game remaining before the November test window. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
and that that year, a new recruit, uh, Uchida Kaskia, who oh, yeah, yeah. he's another awesome player. So mm-hmm. he played. He was on the bench yeah. for me. Would start. He was on the bench, and I, I lost my place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't regret going back going to New Zealand. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. that you know I was I wasn't there for half the year, mm-hmm. and um, you know I was I was angry at Robbie Dean's that that time there. But you know, looking back on um, you know, he was a good rugby player, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to prove myself, and um, yeah, so I regret sort of living in in the moment was sort of anger and frustration. I yeah, didn't yeah. sort of switch switch my attention to actually being like, "Fuck, all you have to do is you prove yourself." Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was a learning curve for me because all the confidence I gained in mm-hmm. in um, New Zealand, what yeah. I set out to do. Is to prove to myself that I'm a good rugby player, yeah. and then I come back, and then that that confidence didn't come into play, whereas it just became anger towards Robbie. Yeah. So I think after th- that that year, I only ended up playing one game, I think, mm-hmm. and that was in the semi final loss to Suntory. Yeah. And then that was it because you know some people might say Robbie's not the best communicator, but um, no, I don't, I don't feel any, um, anger towards Robbie at, at all now. Like yeah. he was just doing his job. He just picked the players yeah, yeah. that he thought were going to get the job done for him. And, mm-hmm. and that's obviously something that I've learned over the years is, you know, a head coach has his role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. I left on good terms with Panasonic. Yeah. Um, and formed a good relationship with the GM there and, um, you know, good mates. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, sorry, getting to your question now, uh-huh. but moved to, moved to Kobe. Yeah, um, yeah, they yeah. were looking for a halfback. They just changed coaches from a Japanese coach that mm-hmm. wasn't doing great. But yeah. then Alistair Kutzia oh, yeah, yeah, signed yeah. with, with Kobe. And mm-hmm. I sort of looked at Alistair as like a, the Stormers, they played like an expansive compared to the other South African teams. So yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, shit, yeah, we, um, you know, play a similar shape, you know, be able to play some footy. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, it was a big shock because it didn't end up being that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it ended up being, for me, six months before I've been playing Tony Brown rugby, you know, like yeah, yeah. expansive, mm-hmm. back yourself, yeah. crack, have a crack from anywhere. Mm-hmm. To Alistair Kutzia's rugby, which was kick from everywhere, yeah, kick them the ball. Mm-hmm. So you see, South Africa sort of that's sort of the identity now. Mm-hmm. But you sort of they kick the ball to them, let them make a mistake, yeah. Um, then we'll pounce on that mm-hmm. and we'll play. And um, yeah, so up until then, sort of my my vision of a coach or my understanding of a coach was Tony Brown. Mm-hmm. So, so Tony Brown, what he's awesome at is the detail. Yeah. 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 And he see, he explains everything from a player's point of view. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, I think the worst thing a coach can do is, you know, when you, when you show them videos, bird's eye view or, you know, a camera up in the stand, you can always push, push start and stop. Yeah. 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 And be like, Oh, why didn't you do that? Mm-hmm. But, the beauty of Brownie, you know, guys like Scotty Hanson as well, is they coach you cues mm-hmm. to see from the player's point of view. Yeah, yeah. So that that really helped me develop my game. But 
with Alistair, it was always about, you know, if we lose a game or you know, we weren't happy with a game, it was always about physicality, mm-hmm. which I wasn't used to. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that first year, I didn't play. Oh, um, I played one game, but I came on as a fullback <laughs> yeah, yeah. for injury. Um, and we didn't have a successful season. We got pumped by Panasonic in mm-hmm. the semi-final, like 50-0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just because our game plan was just kick, kick mm-hmm. the ball, let's see if they make mistakes. It's yeah. a terrible game plan against Panasonic. <laughs> um, but in saying that, like as a professional rugby player, it was more, uh, I'm, 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 I'm dumb because I wasn't good enough to adjust to that rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got Andy Ellis who just sat. Back then, Andy was playing Crusaders mm-hmm. and then he'd come and play Japan. Yeah. Um, so Andy, who was similar, playing expansive yeah. like rugby in, in New Zealand for the Crusaders, comes and credits the caliber of Andy's, mm-hmm. um, you know, rugby. He was able to adjust. Yeah, yeah. Like we we we'll talk about how shit the rugby was, mm-hmm. but Andy was given a plan. Yeah. Um, was told to kick. Mm-hmm. Um, put his kicks on point, and then when they did mistakes, when they did make mistakes pounce on it and play yeah so yeah. so i really respect andy there because he was just able to adjust mm-hmm. so i feel like i wasted my year there yeah yeah, uh, yeah my first year there um so alistair after that year his first year got the springbox gig mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um we all know how that went but um jim mckay mm-hmm. who was uh the reds coach when Attack coach when they when they won yeah yeah uh, in 2011 with Quade Cooper Will Ginier and uh, all those guys and uh, that was another good experience because mm-hmm. Jim was a lot more expansive than Alistair obviously yeah but wasn't on the same expectation level I had as mm-hmm. a coach of um, like Brownie yeah, and yeah, Phil yeah. Mooney so I, I was a bit disappointed there but. I'd learned the lesson, just adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that year, um, Hirao son, um, he, he passed away, uh, Kobe legend, mm-hmm. um, was a GM. He suggested I play 10 because he, he seen me play 10 at Panasonic a few times. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that happened. So I played 10, mm-hmm. um, ended up becoming the um, starting 10 uh, my second year and then played consistently up throughout my uh third year there as well yeah yeah. um but i couldn't have done that without the partnership of andy you know Mm. so andy was uh number nine i was number 10 um we just both just fed off each other he was awesome for me um and then yeah off field stuff we andy and myself and um, a few other players we really um took time into building a a culture as well yeah i think we did that um, yeah, so that was two years with Jim McKay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still t- top four, top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, playing better rugby, but mm-hmm. still wasn't where we could potentially get. Yeah. And then that's where um grateful to have met Scott Hansen, mm-hmm. um, who I stay in touch with um, till this day. So so Scotty, for people who don't know, is, um, he, uh, he played for the Crusaders himself yeah. uh, back in 95, I think. Uh, he's halfback. Coached Leicester Tigers, mm-hmm. the Canterbury ITM team, um, 
uh, now does Japan yeah. Crusaders Attack. He's mm-hmm. done the Sunwolves. Um, so he was the defensive coach when he first yeah, yeah. came. So that was in Jim McKay's second year. Mm-hmm. And then he became the attack coach yeah. um, in my fourth year there. So 2018 when Kobe won their first championship in 18 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Scott, you know, that, that year was when Wayne Smith came. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, obviously Wayne Smith played a massive role. Um, but to me, Scott was another Tony Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar in, in detail. Mm-hmm. Brownie's a bit more chill. <laughs> Scotty's a bit more intense. But I love that about Scotty. Mm-hmm. And and Scott, his gift is he understands people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if he was doing it on purpose, but you know, we had a we had you know Scott to me he could he could raise his voice to me and sort of say things to me that he couldn't say to other players like yeah. you know some Japanese players will get yelled at they sort of go onto a ball and mm-hmm. go onto a shell yeah. but he could do that with me so he sort of he knew the person I was and yeah. that was through interactions off the field mm-hmm. um, and he also so he, he was a Japanese player um, Shimizu he played Kanto Gakuin he was a he was a veteran at, at Kobe um, but he was a hothead oh yeah yeah um, really chilled mm-hmm. but you could sort of see he had a, not a rough upbringing, but mm-hmm. loved a scrap. He was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. loved grass cutters. He was one of those Japanese players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you yell at him or be like, fuck, what are you doing? Like, yeah. he's one of those players that would be like, fuck, who's this guy? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Scotty, he, you know, he, he just knew how to read people and mm-hmm. just got to him, put his arm around his shoulder and I need, I need you to do this. Yeah. This is how you do it. Just real calm. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't, he wasn't a real smart player. Yeah. The Shimizu guy. He'd go hard and stuff, but it's just sort of these different ways of approaching people. And it, mm-hmm. and it goes back to, you know, I keep saying people's journeys shape people, but you know, I'm a big believer in that because, you know, the way they've been brought up mm-hmm. shapes their personality, shapes who they are. So yeah, yeah. there's ways of talking to those types of people, but in order to understand them is that the interaction off field mm-hmm. or, might be just a simple, you know, how's the family or, yeah, 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 um, yeah. you know, what you get up to on the weekend, you can sort of take, pick up hints, mm-hmm. um, from, from that. So I, I really found Scotty, he really had a gift for, for sort of understanding the person and then yeah. how to approach it. Yeah. 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 So I had great respect for Scotty and, and, um, you know, going back to that 2018 successful year, um, it was next level. Like, mm-hmm. um, so that year, Wayne Smith came in yeah. and he just he just changed the culture and the rugby and um, we had Dave Dillon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Holton had been there, has been, still is there and has been there for I think 10 plus years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, he's another legend of Japanese rugby. Played for Toshiba back in the heyday when they, mm-hmm. you know, winning five titles. Yeah, but the the interest. I don't know if everyone's. They might have heard the the, the rugby bricks podcast, mm-hmm. but Smithy. Um, so every year at Kobe, I was there for five. Um, the last two years was with with Smithy, and Dave Dillon. So every year a coach comes in. Yeah, let's connect with the company. Let's go to a let's go to a, a company tour. Yeah, uh, yeah, we make steel. You know, we're steel workers. Mm-hmm. So on the surface, yep, sweet. We say that in a meeting. Uh, we did that with every coach that was there for the for the five years I was there. Yeah, but it was Wayne Smith, Dave Dillon, uh, Nick Holton, Scott Hanson that, that were the only ones that went deep, mm-hmm. like deep as in 
like we study study groups yeah, with yeah. the mini teams just to go go deep into what you know for, for people like that don't understand Japanese rugby is that we all play it's not for a franchise we mm. play for a company yeah yeah and sometimes you know it's really important to connect with the company mm-hmm. and so we we that year we really connected with the company so we'd go on company tours but it yeah. wasn't just another company tour it was about okay how do you what are we going to do day to day what actions what behaviors and we get our inspiration we get our alignment from what the workers at at the steel company yeah, do yeah. what it takes to make steel so we mm-hmm. went real deep and then that that sets standards mm-hmm. that sets behaviors and it set it just set us up for the whole year i reckon so yeah, yeah. that that was awesome um and then the thing another thing that aligned was you know the coaching was great too mm-hmm. we were uh it was detailed we we're actually getting better as players we, yeah we were understanding um on-field cues a lot mm-hmm. better um and that's credit to the coaching um it's not every day you win a title 55-5 against the top suntory team yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I think, you know, they'll probably haunt a team like Suntory mm-hmm. to this day because if you watch that game back, fuck, they, they could not do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the perfect game. Mm-hmm. But not perfect game by chance, mm-hmm. but perfect game because all everything just, it just, that, that puzzle was complete. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you can win a championship if a puzzle or two is missing. Mm hmm. But to dominate like that, that yeah, that puzzle was a, it was a masterpiece. Eh? And it, um, you know, even just gives me shivers now. Like that yeah. that connection we had the company. I was telling you a bit before about you know you can watch you can watch the game on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018 Kobe versus Suntory. You go back to you know after they sing the national anthem. Yeah, it's winter, so it's the the Kobe boys take off their their bench coats, those mm-hmm. big long jackets, and yeah. they're wearing the the company. The work, the workers' um, mm-hmm. jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that well, that was awesome. So we won the we won the tournament um, trophies. We did the tours of all the com- all the companies all over all our factories all over Japan. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. four main com- four main factories mm-hmm. all over Japan. So we did the tours, and you could just feel it. Eh? The, the companies worker, they loved it. Yeah, because yeah. We were wearing their jackets. Mm-hmm. And they were one of us. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's like you, you, some people were crying mm-hmm. and it was awesome. So, yes, I recommend the Rugby Bricks podcast. Smithy goes into a bit deeper yeah, yeah, there, yeah. but, you know, just it, it just can't be about rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get caught up in rugby, but, and it might sound cliche with all those, you know, inspirational speeches the coaches give in a meeting but you know sometimes we just become immune to those mm-hmm. those words because we've heard it a thousand times but yeah, when yeah. it comes through a different channel or a different avenue mm-hmm. or a different story then you're like oh, okay yep i get it now mm-hmm. and then then when you're in a high performing environment it's you either sink or swim so yeah 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 
you want to swim yeah well um i've yeah. been part of a team that recently sunk so yeah think, you know that had a lot to do with obviously coke had a new ceo came in who didn't really know much about rugby a foreign yeah. guy um we made a lot of quick changes but part of that was probably like you said we would go to the companies we'd go to the tokyo company before a game in tokyo and be like support us but yeah. um you know, we just go in and give them a few stickers and stuff and that was it. And I yeah. uh, didn't really have that connection. And a lot of the players are employees because they miss so much of their work uh, because they're playing rugby. Some of the uh, like bosses and stuff hated the rugby team because we we're just taking workers from them. Yeah. And I just didn't have that pride, I guess, in the um, company. And, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I can only um, speak on my experience with Coban and Panasonicers, mm-hmm. but so many things have to align yeah. to be successful. You know, every team now, you know, most teams now are getting into pre-season and they would talk about their goals and, yeah, let's win the top league. You know, yeah. I think, what is it, 12 teams this year? Top yeah, league? Yeah, yeah, So every team's talking about let's win the top league. Mm-hmm. But then it's, okay, what actions or what behaviours are we actually going to, are we actually going to do? Yeah. And are we going to talk about them or... Mm. Just is it just going to be a few words that we leave in the the meeting room and mm-hmm. then we walk you know out of the clubhouse onto the training field? Is it is it something that means nothing to us? But yeah. it's where Smithy tapped into you know Smithy, Dave Dillon, and coaching staff they tapped into yeah you know uh, Smithy mentions it in the podcast with Rugby Bricks, but you know you got to live it, you got to mm-hmm. breathe it, and it, it, and it's just a reminder. It's a it's a marker yeah. to know if you're you're living it. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't living it, the guys that are living it, yeah. Um, yeah, they've created an environment where they'll let you know pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not reading, but you know, I, I don't like to read, but I audio book everything now. Yeah, yeah. Lost the ability to read. <laughs> Last time I read a book was back in high school, I think. But yeah, I um audio book everything now. I think mm-hmm. I'm reading like, uh, so when I say read, I'm listening, but um, Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. But like sometimes, I think it mentioned in there, sometimes like if you're chasing that big goal, yeah. like you don't you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not a choice anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. So once you commit to that, it's not a choice. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that, you know, I'm reading that book now, but when I look back on that 2018 season, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we, it, it wasn't about choice. It yeah. was actually, yeah, you do it or you get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. You're on board or you're not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's who's coming? That that was it. So that that was that was awesome to experience. Um, you always had you know quality players that yeah, 2018 yeah. season, but yeah, that journey was awesome, eh? Mm-hmm. Very stressful, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, I talked to guys like DC and. Andy Ellis have been part of an all-black mm-hmm. um, environment, and he, he, they said it was similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very stressful. And for me, it was stressful too because I mm-hmm. never experienced anything like it. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was at Panasonic, it was just, just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's this is this is it. This is this is this is just the normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at, at Kobe, it was almost you had you had to do it that way because you had to change your mindset in a mm-hmm. short amount of time. So, like, when I, my first year with Smithy. Was it like I wasn't sleeping that well because, like Smithy was Hawkeye. Like yeah. he would be watching Huddle. Um, so Huddle was like a um, video analysis 
get on the iPad, you can watch trainings and stuff. Yeah. And it was like, you know, because he, he, Smithy did stints, so mm-hmm. he'd do Kobe for a couple months, go back to New Zealand, come back. And yeah, so he was, he was just always on you. But that's just, mm-hmm. that's just what it took to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that. Like it was, we were, a, we were a group of boys that, didn't know any better like mm-hmm. that was our standard we thought that was the gold standard but yeah, then yeah. here comes smithy with a you know platinum bloody <laughs> emerald diamond yeah, standard yeah. Oh, yeah. and then that becomes your normal so mm-hmm. yeah that first year was very stressful like be like trying to sleep mm-hmm. be like smithy <laughs> in my dreams <laughs> but yeah it was just uh mm. it was awesome like it uh, yeah and then obviously the night's after the yeah, great bunch of boys, DC, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, shout out to Tom Franklin and yep. um, Aiden Parker, Richard Buckman, um, you know, oh. Nigel, Awong, mm-hmm. um, Andy and Matt, Lam- Matt Van Leeuwen, Frey Anderson, you know, Ishidili, Akajima, oh, yeah. Yamanaka, good, good, mm-hmm. just good bunch of boys. But like I said, you know, going back to like the journey stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't have happened if Kobe had hadn't had that journey leading yeah. up to it yeah 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 so that was that that was awesome mm. um well i was at the top league awards or the praise giving after that year because all the teams <laughs> would go yeah. i think we still had a promotion relegation game after that so we weren't like that keen to go our coach and stuff we get yeah. there and i think uh it was buckman he arrived like just before yeah. it and um i remember we were there all of the staff were like making phone calls trying to find him because they couldn't find him because yeah. he's still out uh, enjoying himself. Like, I think they did the prize giving like straight after the game, kind of like the next day or yeah, the day after. Yeah, the next day. So I think it was like 10 a.m. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one's sort of PG, so it's all right. But um, yeah, so I was in, we're in a hotel room, Bucky. I think our bullet train was maybe leaving for 12 because yeah. we had scheduled sort of. Um, something back at the clubhouse mm-hmm. the following day. So we had pretty like guys that weren't at the awards. So um, I think it was maybe the captain and yeah. the guys that made the top 15 yeah, were and, at uh, the like best kicker. So DC mm-hmm. was there, but yeah. I think, yeah, Buckman, he didn't know that he made the best 15. Oh, so yeah. we're having a beer in, in, in the <laughs> hotel room. I don't know who, whose room it was. Mm-hmm. I think it might've been mine. Yeah. It was my, it was my <laughs> hotel room. So yeah. we're having a, we're having a beer at 9am in the morning. And I think, it started at 10. Yeah, yeah. And I think Bucky got a call at 9.45. Yeah. And they're like, where are you? And he was like, I'm at the hotel. Like, yeah. he didn't know because he didn't know he was in the top 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so they said, no, you're in the best 15. You've got to come to the prize giving. Mm-hmm. And you know how um, at awards ceremonies like the Grammys are saying, when someone can't make it, they just send a video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe in 10 years' time, someone's got that video and can show the acceptance speech, but we just made one on the spot. And yeah. like, it was all time, just, you know, he was off his face, had, had the greasy long hair, and yeah. he just did his expect, uh, acceptance speech, and then we sent it away, and they're like, no, you actually have to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, Jesus. And then, yeah, he, he went and got it, but yeah, it was... I think those nights were massive be- mm-hmm. because of the stressful year, but it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, you know, there's that saying, you know, anything worthwhile, mm-hmm. doing worthwhile is, you know, it's not easy. So yeah. 
uh, yeah, it was awesome. And and like I said before, like that's that's what I'm chasing now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm coming towards the end of my career, and and, and unfortunately we're at, we're in Div Two, but that might not mean a, a, a top league title. Mm-hmm. But when we come to the end of it and it's promotion relegation, and mm-hmm. you beat that Div One team, it's it's still going to be. I was just going to take hard work because, um, you know, all these top league teams are beefing up and yep. they want to survive up there mm-hmm. um, in the new league and we're all desperate to go up. So, you know, getting out of Div 2, firstly, is, is going to be tough. You know, guys like a team like Hino, Kintetsu, they, they, they're they they trying to do the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and teams don't want to drop to Div 2. So mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be it's going to be an awesome season just knowing that, yep, hard work. Yeah. And then potentially what that night could look like mm. after so yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm chasing and um, yeah it'll, it'll be worthwhile yeah nice, you know, nice. hopefully can't wait we'll have to yeah. uh, haven't because of COVID haven't been able to you know share a beer or, yeah. or uh, share a beer <laughs> but, yeah, it's, um, yeah yeah it's been tough eh COVID uh, and everyone's had to make their sacrifices mm-hmm. but you know I believe socialising and Enjoying company is is, mm-hmm. is a massive part of rugby. Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't drink, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah doesn't yeah. mean. But you're there with your brothers, and you're mm-hmm. talking about. Jeez, oh, that fitness session was hard, or <laughs> you might, you know, down a Coke Zero or something. But yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's it's that it's that moment in time when you're spending with your brothers mm-hmm. out, outside of you know making those sacrifices on the field. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, you talked about your goal, I guess, for the season. But quickly, um, this is your second season at the Dynabores now, the Mighty Dynabores. But yeah. uh, what was your reasoning for, I guess, uh, wanting to come over here and, um, like you said, potentially finishing your career at this club instead yeah. of Corby? But, um, yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, so, um, you know, if you go back to Panasonic, I, I was, uh, I, you know, I was young and naive and sort of thought, you know, I'll, I'll spend 10 years here. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes professional rugby is not, you know, I've always looked up to guys that have one, one club man. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's a great achievement, mm-hmm. but sometimes the, the harsh reality of professional rugby is that you play or, you know, you're not, mm-hmm. you play or you don't and, <laughs> yeah. and that affects your, you know, financially or mentally or physically as well. So, um, I think I spent a good five years at, at Kobe, mm-hmm. um, and I was done at make the twenty three that that year that got cancelled by um, COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was already on the out. Mm-hmm. I was on the out there uh, in terms of you know being needed by the club. Yeah. Um, so I thought, yeah, I, I, I you know I saw Mitsubishi as they're on they're on a roll. Mm-hmm. So they just got promoted to, to to top league yeah, yeah. Um, which was a massive achievement for them because it, I think it took them 11 years to do so yeah um, and then they won their first top league game mm-hmm. ever yeah yeah against NEC and then I just saw you know with the players I just saw potential mm-hmm. and then with my experience through having a, a Kiwi coach Australian coach mm-hmm. um South African coach, I just thought, um, okay, I need, I, I want, you know, it might be selfish, but I wanted to enjoy my rugby mm-hmm. and, and the most likely to get, to fill that, 
was a Kiwi coach. Like, yeah, no yeah. disrespect to New Zealand, uh, Aussie or South African coaches, but I just see those three countries seeing rugby mm-hmm. differently. Yeah. So I had a chat to Greg Cooper. I knew Nick Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my SNC at, at Kobe. Yeah. Um, knew a few other players here. And then, yeah, just thought, like, I, you know, I'm 30, I think I was 32. Mm-hmm. 32 now. So, yeah, 30, 32 when I moved here. So, I was like, yep, um, let's really achieve something. Let's keep climbing yeah. um, that ladder. Yeah, and I chose Mitsubishi because, you know, obviously, I, I, I won't lie about it. Obviously, there's, there's financial stuff as well. Mm-hmm. You know, as a rugby player, you you got you to gotta do that, look after your family. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, i got three kids and... Mm-hmm. One more on the way, so yeah, yeah. you got to do that. But you know, you got to you got to be selfish as well. You got to mm-hmm. say, "Yep, where am I going to enjoy rugby? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where am I going to be able to grow? Where mm-hmm. am I going to be able to add?" And yeah. I just saw uh, Mitsubishi as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this last year, I've just finished one season. We we didn't get the results that we set out to get. Yeah. And there's a lot of learning from that mm-hmm. as an organization, as a coaching group, as players. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we all got to grow. Like, everyone's got to grow. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this next season. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's been awesome to experience two top teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would have never learned the things I would have learned there mm-hmm. if I hadn't come for – uh, come to, to Mitsubishi. I've learned so many things here. Yeah. Um, cause I want to get into coaching as well. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's taught me how to, you know, approach players differently. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when we talk to players from a, from a player's point of view, not, mm-hmm. not like a coach's point of view, but you know, there's, it's, it's different. Yeah. 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 And if I hadn't experienced that, I wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've made it pretty clear. I want to get into coaching afterwards. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just find it intriguing to, to experience. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's been awesome. Um, but ultimately is, you know, it might be the last thing I do in my rugby career, mm. but I want to get Mitsubishi into Div 1. Yeah. 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 And, uh, grateful and blessed to have been able to experience success. Mm-hmm. So that's where. Um, it's not just about telling the boys, oh, this is how to do it. It's yeah, actually, yeah. you know, being an older player now, it's mm-hmm. like your body might be getting older, but, yeah. you know, let's, let's do it and show, show these boys. And, yeah, I'm just trying to be that spark or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to do it, but, you know, yeah, I want to get there, and I can't do it alone. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping um, boys will push me to become better, and mm-hmm. I can push boys to get better, and just have honest conversations, and yeah, um, just don't sugarcoat anything. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of ready to have that stressful year yeah. that I had at Kobe because mm-hmm. sometimes that's that's what it takes to yeah, yeah, yeah. to get change and. You know, change is uncomfortable at times, but mm-hmm. you got to embrace it, eh? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to the season. We start up in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of change, but that change is for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's grateful to be in an environment where 
we're all looking to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's awesome, eh? Nice, man. Such good uh, knowledge, man. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah, like, just, yeah, yeah, just being grateful to have guys around mm-hmm. me that have been there and done that. And, yeah, I, and yeah. hopefully I can someday say that, you know, I've been there and done that in Japanese top league, but yeah. Yeah, that's still a long way to go in my journey and mm-hmm. might not get there, but I'll, I'll work to get there. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Well, I think uh, I've only been here a couple of months, but that pre-pre-season we're talking about, uh, yeah, seeing you have a big influence on those Japanese boys, the young boys. So uh, I think, you know, you're already well on your way there as a coach before you even yeah, start coaching. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think you've had the biggest impact on Japanese rugby of anyone ever because if it wasn't for you, wouldn't have the great yeah. captain we got now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know you mentioned that in Michael's podcast, but <laughs> I think I just sort of, you know, if you look at it, yeah, I just, I, I believe, like my family, my dad included, mm-hmm. we, sh- we probably showed Michael that there is that opportunity, but yeah. he's the one that's grabbed it with both hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bloody, you know, mm. look at him now, eh? like yeah. that. Oh. You know, my dad's shown the opportunity to, a lot of Jap- uh, to a lot of Kiwi boys to, mm-hmm. to do that, but for someone like Michael to take it that far and yeah, be the yeah. second most recognised person in Japan after bloody Abe Prime Minister yeah, is yeah. that's mm. that's next level yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah but no, full credit to Michael mm. he's just an absolute it's uh, I think like you said some people suit that kind of military style of uh, training some people don't and it takes a kind of special person to be able yeah. to go through that at a young age in a new country don't know the language yeah. um, and just yeah go through it like it, go, it goes back to Michael's journey too like mm-hmm. his upbringing and that would have shaped him yeah so like I, I'm, I'm a real big believer in that journey eh mm-hmm. like and yeah, like I said before understanding that person yeah to best approach that person when it comes to coaching um yes yeah really really intrigues me eh? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah nice yeah. Um, i think you need that if you're gonna uh you know you can't just be a rugby coach just because you like rugby yeah. i think hey, you need yeah. all that curiosity as well but yeah nice i uh have got a few questions from yeah. the gram i know yeah. you know you've given us a lot That's of good good, knowledge yeah. a few of these might be um stuff you've already covered but yeah i just uh quickly go through these We've got a few good ones. One from a player that you played a little bit at Corby with, Tim Lafayette. Yep. I think he's recently voted most handsome man or something in rugby. Yeah. Classic. Yep. Uh, I think probably, well, you'd be second shorter. Um, <laughs> I think I said the same thing to Mikey Little. But anyway, uh, he said, any, advo- any advice for boys finishing uni rugby or moving into professional rugby in Japan? Um, yep. Uh, for foreign, foreign boys? Or? Uh, yeah, I think. But he didn't specify, so maybe for Japanese as well. Yep. So Tim mentioned there after, after university, but you know this might be hard for especially for the for the Polynesian community. But mm-hmm. when, you know if you're at uni now, even if you're first year, second year, or third year, just reach out. Like if you know kids these days, not kids, but um, this generation now, you know they have Twitter or Facebook or yep. Instagram. You know, back in the day, it was bloody messenger for me but <laughs> messenger or Bebo but um, reach out to top league players now because mm-hmm. there's so many good top league players just good guys that are willing to help yeah, give you yeah. advice and I think don't wait four years mm-hmm. and then be exposed to it yeah, yeah. Um, be proactive and you know so if you're a, a Tongan or a Samoan or a Fijian boy 
get on Instagram, mm-hmm. text Tim and go, yeah. Tim, I'm a, you know, I'm a player at this, this university. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any advice you can give for me? Yeah. Um, like be proactive because, um, I know that like university, some universities are good mm-hmm. and old boys give back to the university, but, um, it's not a real good learning environment mm-hmm. like you have when you hit top league because at top league you have access to foreign coaches who've, yeah. um, you know, been there and done that. You have access to, you know, 50 plus cap. Mm-hmm. You know, Wallabies or All Blacks or Springboks and, or, you know, Tongan or Samoan national players. So, uh, yeah, if there's any advice I would give to someone before they get out of university mm-hmm. is, is reach out. Yeah. To reach out. Cause, yeah, I reckon there's, even if it's just a coach, like I know, um, Lando Sokai, like mm-hmm. it'd be awesome to help you and, um, they're all great guys. So just get yeah. on the gram and, and text mm-hmm. someone and ask questions, start a dialogue. Yeah. 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 For, for after they leave. Yeah. It's just, it's just keep communicating with people. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep learning, eh? Yeah. 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 I think this, the trap you could get into with, especially with foreign university players is like you come here, um, you might have played A1 or, you know, in Auckland or Christchurch mm-hmm. or whatever, and you come here and, you might feel on top of the world because you're bumping off 40 kg Japanese, you know, <laughs> yeah. halfbacks or stuff like that. But university and top league rugby, different level, whole mm-hmm. another level. So re- reach for the stars. Don't don't settle with mm-hmm. being that beast in uni. Yeah. Um, because you know that that uni is, is is setting you up to play for top league. It's mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. That's not the end goal. Yeah, it's yeah. not the end goal, and um, there's there's a bigger picture. So, and sometimes getting a better understanding of the bigger picture and understanding, you know, because they're they're eighteen to twenty two year olds. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I can speak for the Pacific Island community, but you know, they're quite reserved and quite shy, and mm-hmm. it's, and just culturally, they, um, you know, they, they respect their elders, and um, might be hard for them to reach out. But yeah, you know might just take for you know one of us or one of us top league players to you know make a community and mm-hmm. make an environment or a, a platform that they can reach out yeah but you yeah, just be proactive eh? mm-hmm. yeah that, that's probably the only advice i can give um probably not qualified to to give them advice when they do get out of university because it's um it's a bit different you know yeah 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 mm-hmm. hopefully nice. they answered the question but yeah yeah well um i think hopefully your story and all the other boys' story. Everyone's had a different journey uh, through uni and stuff like that. Yeah, so jump on, jump on a podcast. Yeah. Eh? There's so many awesome stories out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might just like that spark, or mm-hmm. might you put, put you on a path, or might just give you reassurance that yeah. you're on the right path. So yeah, just always mm. yeah, proactive and seek knowledge and yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, all those guys who look out of reach, they might have been in a similar place to you. Yeah, so. yeah, 100%, 100%. Nice, man. Uh, alrighty, here's one. Uh, what player has had the most influence on you? Oh, that's a good question. I know I mentioned a lot of players mm-hmm. in, 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 this, uh, in this pod so far, but yeah, so coaches that have influenced me, Tony Brown, mm-hmm. uh, Phil Mooney, Scott Hansen, yep. mentioned the reasons why. Um, players, um, I think I always strive to be someone like Beric Barnes. Mm-hmm. Not only was he awesome at rugby, but he was a top bloke. Like, yeah, yeah. just always genki and 
full of energy. Yeah. I don't know, you know, it might be different at home, but, mm-hmm. you know, I listen to the Ball and All podcast. That's his. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think Barnsley, I don't know what he's doing for work at the moment. <laughs> I might be a professional podcaster, but, oh, um, yeah, Barnsley, like I'll tell you a story. So, so in Ota, mm-hmm. uh, where Panasonic is based, um, so Barnsley had a house and next to his house was a, it was a bit of land, but they, it was a park. Oh, yeah. So yeah. some people that have lived in Japan, they'll know, um, you know, they have like a wee um, section of land where there's a lot of houses mm-hmm. in that one section, probably not big enough to build a house on. Yeah. So they just turn it into a park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of gravel and one rusty slide and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So that was Barnsley's park mm-hmm. next to his house. Um, so what he did, so this park would be pretty small, had a slide in it. But um, overgrown grass, mm-hmm. um, dirt, uneven dirt. Um, so what he did, Barnsley, just a real Aussie bumpkin. He just <laughs> like, so he got the rake out, started leveling the ground. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, attached a basketball hoop to the slide, mm-hmm. to the top bit. Made a baseball, like a pitching net. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of um, like... PCV oh, yeah, pipe. Yeah, yeah. Lived wow. across the road from Klein's home too, which <laughs> helped. Um, and then just left a, a bag of balls there. Mm-hmm. And this this park was uninhabited. Like no one <laughs> yeah. would go there. Yeah. Just because the state of it. Mm-hmm. But then it became, you know, the best park in that area. Yeah, yeah. And you just that that just shows the character of Barnsley. Like mm-hmm. he he would just do stuff for other people. Yeah, yeah. And wow. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of playing nine mm-hmm. inside Barnsley and he, he'd catch any shit pass I'd throw at him. Yeah. Um, never complained, just always giving me advice. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm very lucky. I mentioned with Fumi before, like I'm, I'm lucky to have played with those players that, yeah, and even yeah. Andy, you know, when I was playing 10, mm-hmm. like I couldn't have done it without those guys, eh? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Beric Barnes, he'd be someone that. Um, I look up to um, Andy Ellis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy showed me, um, so yeah, I was pretty serious at Panasonic. So yeah, I yeah. did love, I did love a beer mm-hmm. at Panasonic, but Andy took that to another level for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he taught me, you know, when you do a kampo, when you do a cheers, you you look him in the eye and mm-hmm. cheers, and just create that bond. And you know, nowadays you see kids. You know, on the grand bloody showing their yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cups when they're doing their cheers, and that sort of grinds my gears because you know that's yeah, yeah. You know, why do you do a cheers? It's you acknowledge each other, and yeah. So Andy sort of taught me to make the most of the off field, mm-hmm. which I I did do to a degree at at Panasonic, mm-hmm. but yeah, just. Next level, Andy, you know, he'd host dinners and barbecues and just knew how important the camaraderie was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, really grateful for Andy for, for, for that. Yeah. Nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah. That kind of goes on to uh, a question related to, I guess, the off field stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, see, who is the biggest drinker he's played with uh, and why? Yeah, definitely have to be one of the Tongan boys. Like, yeah, yeah. Tony Seal, Vaihu. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so people that have played with Tongans and are Tongan mm-hmm. or someone, you know, they, they love a beer. Yeah, yeah. 
um, and just there, they can go all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like some some of them get quite aggressive, but mm-hmm. Tony he he will drink for like nine hours straight. Yeah, and just just stay the same. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and he always like he always send me a video the next day mm-hmm. or the next when he stopped drinking a couple yeah. hours later. Be like, open up another beer and like it's the best cure for a hangover. <laughs> and yeah, so Tony's probably the the biggest drinker but he's quite mellow mm-hmm. but yeah you know when, when people have a beer it's uh, I feel you get the real them yeah, and yeah. then that's when you connect with mm-hmm. the real them yeah yeah so someone like um, Richard Buckman oh uh, yeah you get you get Richard Buckman every day but then you get the Barracuda when he's had a few beers so <laughs> yeah I always um, yeah, enjoy yeah, we, we just did a lot of things mm-hmm. with that Kobe crew and, and it'd be awesome to do that with the Mitsubishi crew, but you know, obviously times mm-hmm. are difficult at the moment. Yeah. That's, you know, first world problems, but yeah. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. Yeah. A couple of uh, big names there. Nice. Uh, we'll just go through a couple more. Yep. <laughs> I think this might actually be from uh, Mr. Tony, but he said, what is your skin fold score? Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Some of eight. I don't know. I oh, can't remember, but it's like on my worst days, I'm like 20% body mm-hmm. fat, which is for a professional athlete. It's just terrible. <laughs> yeah. But if that, uh, if that's a question from Tony, the answer is better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. But I was actually talking to a few of the boys the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of the boys saw my Instagram and, um, one of the boys posted me running. Oh yeah. Um, but like, uh, you know, I've always been terrible with my diet mm-hmm. and sort of not my mentality, but I always sort of like try to out train my shit diet. Yeah. Yeah. But it never happens. Like it's, it's impossible, but what I've gained from that mm-hmm. is a pretty good Bronco time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my Bronco is not too bad. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sloppy, but like my PB for a Bronco is 438. Oh, yeah. You know, Very true. A sloppy guy is not too bad yeah but yeah as an aging athlete yeah everything counts now so Mm -hmm. just trying to get my skinnies down and um you know i might be laughing but um yeah that's gonna make or break me this year i reckon Mm -hmm. my skinnies if um the less the skinnies are the better i perform yeah yeah that's the the biggest battle i'm i'm battling right now so yeah and it's uh all part of that you know, stressful season, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, you said you're an aging athlete, but here's one from Ben Poultridge. Yeah. said, uh, how did he find the transition from impulsive athlete to wise veteran? Um, I think it just happens naturally, eh? Like when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, my first years at Panasonic were basically just do, because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but then when you hit, when I hit Kobe, it was more, um, okay, I've got to influence a bit, mm-hmm. a bit more because, um, it's not up to the standard I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that might not just be rugby. It might be like off field stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when it comes to, I think it, with AJ, yeah. like I think those guys that influence at a young age mm-hmm. is because they've probably, 
experience thing, uh, experience a few more things faster than most yeah. other people. So, like, if you, for example, if you take like Owen Farrell, mm-hmm. he made his like debut at seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So when he when he hits twenty two, mm-hmm. he's a veteran. Yeah, he's already played fifty games for for the Saracens. So you look at Marcus Smith; he's mm-hmm. played, I think, like eighty games for the Harlequins. He's only twenty two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's like his journey is a bit different to mine. Mm-hmm. But for me, naturally, with age, I became a guy that had been around yeah. and probably experienced a few things that the group I'm in now haven't experienced. Mm-hmm. And I can speak both Japanese and English. So, yeah. you know, the younger boys might see me as that, that old guy. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, and, and they probably see like, you know, what would Andy do or what would Dan Carter do or, mm-hmm. you know, what would Yamanaka do or yeah. I think they just feed off my experience I, mm-hmm. I, th- I think I, th- I think yeah yes but yeah. it's been it's it's been good because I think my personality is always to help people mm-hmm. and when people come and talk to me I've I'm, I'm pretty um, devoted to to seeing that through to the end that yeah they yeah I help them so mm-hmm. yeah man yeah, nice nice great answer again um we've got a couple of, I want to you know try and answer as many as possible because no, no, we'll going, you've so. had a um great answer for everything so far <laughs> Uh, all right, well, here's a Japanese one. I'll say it in Japanese and then okay. in English. Um, I think it's from a younger player, but he said, Scrum half of that, tokuni taisis nakoto anandeska. So, what's something that's uh, particularly important for someone who wants to be a halfback? Yeah. Um, so, first and foremost, pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was pretty lucky that my dad played halfback. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, we did a lot of passing in my backyard, mm-hmm. quite a big backyard. So, um, and then, yeah, for, like I said, with, with Tim's question, it's now you got, you got YouTube mm. at your fingertips on your phone. Yeah. You got top league players that you can get in touch with, mm. with, you know, a click of a button. Yeah. 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 It's, um, don't be afraid to go out and get that information because, you know, I feel, you know, knowledge is wealth. Yeah. Yeah. My health is wealth, but knowledge is wealth too, mm-hmm. because, the more you know things, you can try it, and then mm-hmm. you can feel it, and then then you can make up your own mind. Yeah. Um, so don't just be bogged down to okay, I'm going to throw a hundred passes today. Yeah. Because those hundred passes might be doing it the wrong way, mm-hmm. and you might not know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you, um, you know, test other things, mm-hmm. you'll get a feel for things. Okay, this pass actually worked for me. So yeah, yeah. For for not only just a halfback mm-hmm. for. Um, anyone just go out there and get that knowledge yeah um, and yeah so the, mm. the beauty of top league right now is you got you know TJ Perinato set it up yeah. set, you know lit it up last year and you see him doing great things now and mm-hmm. you know Tanaka Fumiaki is still around yeah. uh, Nagare Santori mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm pretty sure if you hit them up DM like they'll they'll answer you straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the beauty of rugby is uh, we're we're quite close with the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reckon with yeah. I wouldn't say normal people, but mm-hmm. with the everyday Joe blog, we're yeah. pretty we're not far away like a Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, it's not like yeah, you're gonna yeah. hit him up on DM and he's gonna be like, oh yeah, I'll show you how to you know <laughs> kick kick a uh, free kick or something like that. But yeah. 
yeah, just take advantage of that, eh? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Wow. Um, alrighty. And what was your aspiration to become a professional rugby player? And uh, what's your biggest motivation? Um, aspiration, professional rugby player. I think that that, that changes mm-hmm. um, throughout the years. Yep. So for me, when I was at university, um, looking to go somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't about money or it wasn't about, it was just, holy shit, I get to play with guys like Mike Delaney, be coached by Tony Brown and mm-hmm. play against George Smith, Fugui Dupreer. Yeah. Um, you know, being a, a local Canterbury boy, I never thought mm-hmm. Dan Carter, Andy Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Jesus, Moses <laughs> and Jesus in the same team. Yeah, so that, yeah. So that, that, that was a motivation for me when I was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, um, so I had, I had kids quite young. Mm-hmm. So first year at university, um, my wife and I, we were like, oh, yeah, we want kids yeah, young. Yeah. And, and the reasoning behind that was because I want to be able to do stuff with my kids. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, go for trail runs or go bike rides or, yeah, yeah. you know, show them how to do a goose step or something <laughs> like that. So, um, my, my oldest son is nine. Yeah. Uh, turning 10. Mm-hmm in January I've got a second son who's turning eight yeah, next, yeah. next next month sure. um, so my motivation now obviously we you know we talked about chasing that you know the beers and mm-hmm. the the you know the championship and stuff but my other motivation is they're at an age where they see yeah and kids you know they see and they they're smart you know kids mm-hmm. so um, I don't I don't want I want to show them, okay, I'm a professional rugby player mm-hmm. and I hope one day that they become uh, professional rugby players nice. just because, you know, I've had an awesome journey yeah. and it's still going, but mm-hmm. the things you get to experience through professional rugby are, are next level and it's, yeah. and um, so, yeah, I want every sort of rugby player to ch- to cherish it, eh? mm-hmm. like it's, you know, these guys that are, are retired and, and miss you know, yeah, yeah. And we joke about it sometimes with some of the guys that have uh, moved on from rugby, but mm-hmm. like the workplace bullying, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, you can't get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna um, that yeah. I want my kids to see me play rugby, mm-hmm. and then hopefully that inspires them or puts them on a path to to be like, yeah, I want to be like dad. And yeah. then I'm still hopefully when I when I finish rugby, I, I don't let go and become 140 <laughs> kgs, but. When they want to do a fitness session or something, I'm yeah. I'm able to to keep up yeah. with them maybe until you know they're about fourteen or something. But <laughs> yeah, that that's my motivation now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. nice. Yeah, great answer. Uh, and then, hey, lastly, we've got a few questions that we always ask, uh, just about Japan and stuff. But it's a bit different because I guess you've been here a long time. You're half Japanese, but uh, what is your favourite Japanese food or go to? Japanese food. You know, like dango? Oh, yep, yep, yep. Like it's on a um, little round rice cakes mm-hmm. on um, on a skewer. Yeah. Um, and you can get one with like a anko, which is like a red bean paste. Mm-hmm. Um, there's goma, which is just like black. And then there's midarashi, which is um, like a sugar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or it'd be like it's, a miso sort of. Yeah. Like with a, a lot of sugar, so it's quite a sweet yeah. dessert. But I'm a big sucker for um for the the goma, the sesame oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, um, and, and, and Kobe, they only had the, the Mitarashi and the, the Anko. Oh, true, true. But yeah. when you come to sort of more, um, countryside, mm-hmm. like, um, Sagamihara, mm-hmm. they, they had the Goma ones. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm a big sucker for just custard cream, eh? Oh, like the Japanese yeah. know how to do a shoe cream and a, yeah, Dang so that, yeah, I've been, yeah, battling away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard in Japan, I think. Yeah. They know how to do a dessert and mm-hmm. know how to do a food. So, yeah. Everyone always talks about like the ramen and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just, there's yeah. so many good foods, eh? Um, yeah. And everyone's, I guess, they don't eat or like, you don't see too many people eat ramen every day or anything, but yeah. you have people who haven't been brought up with it, yeah. come over here, get excited. And, yeah. Have three a week, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just nice. lights up those um, taste buds, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's a drug. Yeah. Uh, especially because not many people in Japan might drink the whole soup of the ramen, but yeah. all the foreigners just drink everything. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. really they bad stuff. Yeah, eh? clean it up. <laughs> uh, sweet. And then just to finish up, uh, do you have like a favorite Japanese word or phrase or something that, uh, is, yeah, like you didn't learn it like people who just come over have, but yeah. do you have anything like that? Um, yeah, I know there are a few, a few foreign players that love a wee quote, Ben <laughs> yeah. Paltridge, but, oh. <laughs> um, nah, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a quote guy, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't have any Japanese favorite, any, yeah, but, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no, I don't. That's <laughs> yeah. no, that's um, I think you've given, uh, Juban or, you know, more than enough uh, knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I think this might be one of the longest podcasts I've ever done. I oh, mean, yeah. I should say. Uh, no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it hasn't felt like it. It's, uh, you know, all been good stuff. It hasn't been me trying to fill you know, just random um, anecdotes from my yeah. uh, life or anything. So I've really enjoyed it. Got to know you a lot. And, um, yeah, can't wait to uh, get into a high-pressure, high, big, uh, rewarding, yeah. you know, yeah. season. So, yeah, yeah, gambani Yeah, yeah. Gonna need every every person on this team, you know, staff to mm-hmm. staff players and staff and even management. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the to this journey. Yeah, yeah. it's all about the journey. So, always. Yeah, looking forward to it. That's no, nice. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming on, and um, yeah, everyone, thanks for listening. If you got any questions or anything, uh, send them through. Anything to Nick, I'm sure I'll put his uh, Insta and stuff in the notes, but sure he'd uh you know, answer you all. He's got a lot of time. He's a great man. Um, But yeah, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the JRW podcast. Make sure to rate and share the pod if you enjoy it. And don't forget to use code JRW15 at the ANR Pro checkout for a 15% discount. Arigats. I'll talk to you next week.